Hey guys, welcome to the Codex West podcast, episode 5B. This is the Wednesday show. Uh, I'm Jacob, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Mark. What's up, man? And Johnny. Hey there. Uh, if you guys didn't catch the Monday show, we talked about Cuphead. Um, it's like a 30s animation style shoot 'em up game that we really think you should check out. Um, if you did catch the Monday show, you'll know that we're going to be talking about gun control today. Um, we weren't originally going to speak on this topic, but uh, in light of the, the Vegas shooting that happened last week, or maybe if there was another one in the time between recording and when we release this, uh, we, uh, we decided to weigh in. So I'm going to leave this one mostly to you guys. Um, who wants to go ahead and give their, their two cents first? I think Johnny goes think, first here, yeah. All yeah, because right. the way we're going to structure this is I think there's a um, – when it comes to gun control as a country, we both sides of the debate are – talking past each other in bad faith i think um and they're almost missing the point i'm not saying i know how to solve this I just the conversation itself is really frustrating um and i think it's frustrating because um we have such a bizarre culture when it comes to guns that is embedded in our nation's history and our constitution um the second amendment is very Interesting <laughs> to, to, to say that to say and the Mark ways. has a lot of say about the legal aspects, and I think we could talk something about the historical aspects too mm-hmm. of why the Second Amendment is even a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so that's I think how the the structure of the discussion will go. So I'll start. I mean, I want this to be open because I think the things I'm gonna say might be controversial, and I kind of want to check in to see Ooh, if I'm like on his head or <laughs> well no it's just more like so I don't I I think both sides are just speaking to things that are not at hand okay and they're speaking past each other um so something like every time a mass shooting happens they're objectively awful Right, they're just no like no one is into mass shooting. <laughs> you know, <except laughs> like, like, we can all agree that they're awful, but nobody's into. Man, you are let's really start, putting words start, into my mouth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You are really start taking, with taking some buddy. liberties. Yeah, <laughs> controversial <laughs> opinion: people dying, not good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so, what happens is we'll have a mass shooting. And then we'll have the left being like, oh, um, if we had tougher gun control legislation or common sense is the politically um, more effective term, then these sorts of things wouldn't happen. Or at least there's a sense that – not even that. It's almost as simple as what the the left will say is like, you know, um, we should have – common sense gun legislation Mm -hmm. because it's you know there's a lot of times where you actually can't map on when it comes to like the vegas shooter for instance yes there could be like legislation about um like bump stock modifications Mm -hmm. but this attack still feasibly could happen even without those modifications for sure yeah and um when the so like i think people on the left are cognizant that something like this isn't preventable because there's no like easy answer the way that like you know there's much more like simpler answers in politics than this issue yeah but so like there's a sense in which what will happen is like something like this which there is no clear legislative um 
goal when it comes to stopping an attack like this. Mm -hmm. But it'll be a platform in which people are like, no, what we need is tougher gun well, legislation. Well, I mean, like, just to, just to kind of talk to that point, though, um, whenever, like, your point specifically that, like, stricter gun legislation won't directly stop all of these mass shootings, right? And I can I can agree with that. I can understand how there's, you know, you can get guns from other places. There's other instrumentalities by which you can commit these kinds of, uh, uh, these kinds of crimes, right? But just the truth of the matter is that it's kind of fatalistic to think that, you know, just because getting rid of bump stocks won't stop mass shootings altogether, that it's not worth it to get rid of them. Do you know what I mean? And, oh, and I think and that's, yeah. that's not what I'm saying. Oh, no, 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 no that, I understand. I'm not, yeah. I know I'm that saying, you're, but you're, um, yeah, you're just pointing out a particular like system of where it's actually not what, answering yeah. the call. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, like obviously, a, it's, it's like a line of reasoning trying to address a part of an issue instead of like it's, it's understanding the issue. That's yeah. right. Cause it's, here's it's, the deal. Yeah. It's when ad hoc we talk argument. about, yeah, it's ad hoc. Cause here's the deal. When we're talking about, and this is something everyone knows, but the numbers are kind of, kind of flavor it differently. When we talk about gun control, what we're really trying to prevent is suicide. Yeah, two thirds. Um, two thirds. Two thirds. And the actual numbers: um, forty-four thousand, one hundred ninety-three people commit suicide by gun. And there's just been so much psychological research when it comes. Wait, to One hundred ninety-three people commit suicide by gun daily. Forty. Or? No, forty-four thousand, one hundred ninety-three a year. Okay. 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 Not one hundred ninety-three. Forty-four thousand. Then one hundred ninety-three per year. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So. Um, that's how many uh, suicides happen a year by gun, specifically, mm-hmm. um, which is the most <coughs> eff- eff- efficacious way to kill yourself, right? Well, it's Hanging also yourself, about like also- there's there's um, I've I've actually talked to Brittany about this. My girlfriend Brittany is uh, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, and she's talked about that specific issue about the way that guns play into suicide in the United States. And one of the things that any kind of uh, professional in the mental health field will tell you is that like the lack of instrumentality is really important for preventing suicides in an acute uh, situation. Do you know what I mean? Sure, yeah, because there's because just if you don't so many more unpleasant to ways and, to and die. I'm not talking about like long term. I'm not saying that like a person won't use other ways of killing themselves, obviously. Right, I'm talking right. about like the acute no. sensation of despair is really facilitated into the actual action of suicide by having something gun. as instantaneous as a gun, where right, it only takes one second to be able to actually end your life immediately rather than right. you take a bunch of pills and then you you go, oh my God, I don't want to do it, and you throw up. Or like you try and hang yourself. Then you, find, you go, oh my God, I don't want to do this, and you find a way of loosening your noose. Right? There are ways right. out of those situations, but with a gun, you might even do it accidentally. You might be planning to kill yourself. Maybe not planning to kill yourself. You're just flirting with that sensation, and then it just happens. Right. Yep. And so that's that's something that I've um, I've heard from a number of people who have experience in the mental health field, actually. And so that's a yep. really interesting way to think about the gun debate. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah, that was pretty much the point I was leading to. because <laughs> um, Nice thunder ceiling. If it's two. Mm-hmm. No, if it's two thirds. Yeah, right. Rip it then, off. So um, that means that actual gun violence in terms of like like things like homicide is. 15,000 a year, right? Two and a half million people die in America a year. Um, so it's pretty, like, minuscule. Your, your chance of dying is, like, point... It's just one in, like, 
150,000 if you're already going to die. Like, sort of statistic. You're more likely to get injured by a toilet than you are <laughs> shot yeah. a year. Um, by an order of magnitude. The same thing happens, too, with... Um, so, I, I want to sort of bring this into car accidents yeah. are in terms of accidental deaths or how you're most likely to die mm-hmm. um does that include which like is, natural cause, like heart attack or no no no, 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 no like accidents Accident, accidental like, deaths okay. so like under under like 60 years old sure, uh, sure. accidental deaths most like like the, the leading causes are heart disease and cancer poisoning road traffic is in the list but those are the top causes before you're 40 top like homicide. five or yeah, I okay, don't think okay. homicide breaks the top ten when it comes to even before forty. Yeah, I mean that does, that would make but, a lot of sense. Yeah, people so, don't kill each um, other that often, right? <laughs> but also, there's factors too. Like if you're white, you're much less likely to die by gun violence. Sure. Um, and traffic accidents are important to talk about because one, there are less cars in America than there are guns. What? By like a hundred million. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such an incredible way. I, I know that. Uh, yeah. That I makes perfect yeah, sense. To, but holy shit. Yeah. There's so much cheaper like to manufacture, that. and you, people, yeah. Who, people yeah. usually people who own guns own more than one. So yeah. yeah. There's about 250 million cars and about 400 million. Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Guns. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So the fact that cars, <laughs> that there, there's more guns and an order of magnitude more deaths by cars even though they're 100 to 150 million less in america is saying something to the effect of the rights arguments which are that guns are you know you have an incident like what happens not only is it like a drop in the bucket when it comes to actually preventing accidental deaths um it's it's i don't think this is the rights argument but it would be mine the aesthetic act of a mass shooting is almost always um, playing on white privilege so it's like white people shooting white people in this case or mm-hmm. white people getting shot that mm-hmm. is what's sending media into a frenzy yeah. when it comes to car deaths there's not like a big aesthetic moment like um that's horrific like yeah usually we don't have a mass traffic accident yeah, yeah. i mean you have like pile-ups but you know it's, it's not, not like that. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's they don't have they don't have the media attention and um if it's like black people shooting black people it's like usually not going to have it's it doesn't um, make national news it doesn't make national there's a way in which you can read like the race politics into this being like okay like like even the left is susceptible to like uh like uh their own white privilege being attacked by these shootings yeah right so um there's a sense in which i kind of you know that the left is like missing that it's that they're subject to the criticism of hysteria mm-hmm. because um, if we're really trying to stop deaths, these mass shootings are not the issue. Yeah. And even, even when it comes to um, gun violence, gun violence itself isn't the issue. So many people, if you're trying to stop people getting hurt, let's talk about domestic violence. Oh my God. Like, yeah, for sure. I know this is sort of like what about ism, but there's sometimes there's been up to 4.8 million domestic assaults a year against women. Yeah, like there's just so many. There, it's just sort of this thing where it's like you can look at people getting hysterical because the event, the images of the event, the experience of taking in the media of the event m- moves you to um, hysteria, basically, and it makes yeah. you posit 
policy solutions that aren't actual solutions to the problem or to the um, uh, the circumstances of the event itself, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be the way in which I think the on the left when these mass shootings happen, there's a sense of like talking past the point. The thing is, though, this is not me defending the right. I think the right has when there are positive arguments, not just like critical arguments of like um, discussions that are happening on the left, but the the arguments that the right are posing are just as equally ridiculous, if mm-hmm. not more so. Um, a lot of people talk about guns are good for protection, right? Mm-hmm. But statistically, there's just it's just not there. When we're talking <laughs> in like 2014. Sure, yeah. It's not yeah. So in 2014, they were um, recorded 259 justifiable gun-related homicides. So like self-protection. <laughs> 259. This is out of out of one, 44 one, or what was it no, again? The whole figure. Uh, 400 million guns. No, no, no this <laughs> is but but the, you want to you want to judge the 259 justifiable gun-related homicides against the, the statistic in 2014 that there were 1.2 million scenarios where guns could have been used, and they weren't used to uh, help. Like there would have been 1.2 million scenarios in which if someone killed someone with a gun, it would have been justifiable, and only. 259 of those cases did it happen <laughs> judges compare to wow. the statistic that there are 400 million guns in america right and you all wow. once you get all these numbers together you get a picture that like guns in terms of protection is itself an aesthetic um, misjudgment yes yeah exactly um and so so like having them for protection is just like it's not actually the case in reality. That's where the right's missing reality. And things like tradition is not a good argument. Like, you know, like they President Bartlett says <laughs> in the West Wing when <laughs> they're like, No, guns are tradition, it's father's hand to the sons. He's like, It's just not good enough. It's not good enough. Like tradition yeah. is not tradition on its own, you can't point to and say, you know, like slaves <laughs> yeah you know, i mean tradition yeah, exactly. or like yeah. if you want to like straight up counterpoint to the right sharia law yeah 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 exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trad- yeah i don't know how we don't really have to like go too hard into like white tradition no. <laughs> <laughs> excuse but then you know and then some people will say hunting which i guess like you know fine but like as but but you're not like, using assault rifles to hunt so, but so you're not one you're not using yeah. assault rifles but also just like as a like an animal activist i don't really care about your rights to hunt like (laughs) it's not good enough for me personally but (coughs) um so basically when people are making positive arguments for the right trying to actually prove something about gun ownership it's just none of those arguments work too so Mm. if you're on one side of the fence listening you're gonna you know listening to the other side you're gonna be like well there's so many problems with what you're saying. Yeah. But if you're really looking holistically, you just see that both sides are completely missing, missing the, point. the point. And I think why that's the case is because of the cultural element where um, because there's no clear policy solution to these things and there might not need to be a clear policy solution or it's definitely, it shouldn't like you can make the argument that it, it shouldn't be, the thing that we're thinking about when we're thinking about policy that we should use all of our intellectual resources on like solving heart disease and cancer or you know income inequality things that actually affect everybody or like a a much larger population of people um i think why this ends up being 
um, such a hot button issue is because it the 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 center is a culture war, mm-hmm. which is um, has to do with the history of the nation and where you see yourself in context to uh, the history of America, right? For so, sure, like yeah. from. For me, I'm completely ambivalent about this issue because when I look at the statistics, I look at it from a policy level. I don't, I don't see a clear solution. I sympathize with, um, you know, there needs to be, you know, and anyone can sympathize with something that's dressed up as common sense legislation, yeah. right? I mean, that's what's effective about the term itself, right? So, like, when I think about it, it's like, yeah, we should have like background checks, blah blah, blah. but then. I don't know exactly if that's efficacious. I know, you know, like people will bring up the buyback system in Australia mm-hmm. and like it, it does seem to have helped the solutions, but also a lot of those mass shootings could like, there weren't a lot to begin with. And like the fact that they haven't happened could be for a number of reasons. Australia is also a different geographic, like the geo politics of australia are very different there's mm-hmm. water everywhere yeah you know? it seems to me like the, <laughs> like the gun issue in america is like, almost like entirely one of culture not really legislation at all yeah right so i don't like to me it's like I, I i i can listen to both sides because they're saying something but it's not but my relationship with america isn't like i don't like i i don't fall on the left or right almost because in terms of culture because it's almost transparently obvious to me what's happening. It's like uninteresting um, in terms, like it's culturally uninteresting whether you fall on the right or the left yeah. to me because Completely. the cultures themselves are just so obvious, right? Yeah. Like uh, there's, they're so sensationalistic and like brutish ways. Yeah. They're that just like, not, there's not nuanced at all. There's no like real, like understanding of position it's just you you take a, a very clear side and then you, you it seems like everybody kind of has the same arguments that they the, the 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 same kind of like facebook rhetoric yeah right yeah you fall under these like um platitudical persuasions yep. right like perfect perfect yeah. way of saying yeah. It, yeah. yeah yeah so um to me it's like whatever but like i think if you were to deconstruct those persuasions what you'll find is people who don't have a or this is where I want to get into the Second Amendment because I think the right sees this as um, this is a part of the Constitution, the Second Amendment, that speaks yeah. to their um, cultural experience within America, which is that if you are in uh, – or maybe this is how the story goes uh, culturally. If you're – like you're living like a lot – obviously this isn't news if you're you know in a – uh, like a, I can't think of the word right now, but not a city, but like a country environment, rural. right? Rural. There you go. If you're in a rural environment, you're likely to have guns, mm-hmm. right? And um, that's part, like the Constitution itself is like a mysterious, difficult document, right? But here it is. Here's part of your cultural history in the Constitution itself that you can point to and be like, I'm allowed to have guns. You already had the guns if you're in rural America. Now you see it in your history and you're able to make a connection where it's like, okay, this is me with the history that I'm living in. And if you're in a rural place, your sense of culture is not going to be as advanced or as like deep. It's more rooted in historical perspective than somebody who lives in an urban center. But I I just, I do want to point something out here in this discussion though. 
So when you talk about the kind of like uh, historical cultural context, the idea that your experience of the United States is kind of like intertwined with your viewpoint um, on this issue generally, right? Now, the way that the Second Amendment has just like generally been viewed culturally in, in throughout history, the like, how about this? The Second Amendment is only a recent hot button issue, really. When I say recent, I mean within the last 20, 30 years. Right. Okay. The thing is that before that, this really was not this. This was almost a non-issue on many instances because it was really understood that I mean there were regulations where you know it was like the banning of uh, handguns in uh, New York or in Philadelphia. I forget what mm -hmm. city center did it the first in the 1800s, right? And then in the early 20th century, there were major limitations on guns because of the rise of gangs and uh, bootleggers and the mafia, right? Yeah. So the thing is that this construction of the Second Amendment, not only from a cultural perspective, but also what I'll get into like you know, in a little bit about the legal aspect, this construction is actually really recent. It's quite recent. And what you can do is you can kind of notice that, I mean, the, I, I guess I'm kind of speaking to what, you know, preaching to the choir, I guess people know this, but like the NRA has a lot to do with this. And it's not just because the NRA, um, you know, donates money or something like that. Right. And, you know, oh, they bought out the politicians. No, it's not that. It's not that simple. They fund litigation. They find cases. They seek them out. Right. Mm. Because the idea is it's not just that the NRA might fund you know some particular congressman or some particular senator they might donate or this that or the other thing their scorecards and all of that right it's also the fact mm -hmm. that the nra is supported by the gun industry right because the nra is an arm through which they can exercise this kind of um this kind of litigation influence right, right. like a gun lobby for the gun Exactly. It's like a, a way for, for gun manufacturers to be gun lobbyists without having to be directly involved. Exactly. Wait, is the NRA actual lobbyists, though, or is it like... Effectively. How about this? The, are they a medium? In terms of like yeah. enacting political change, they might as well be. That, they don't... How about this? No, 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 The NRA, like, the NRA probably has some lobbyists on staff that go and actually directly talk to people. They also yeah. hire firms on K Street. You know what I mean? Like, that's like the other thing is that there will be lobbying firms that represent some particular arm or branch of the NRA. Right. Okay. Um, but the thing is that it's, you know, I think that people get really reductive when you start talking about like buying out congressmen or some shit like that. Right. Right. It's such a platitude. Oh, no. Itself, I mean, it's I so, think. it's like, so it, ridiculous. It demonstrates like a gross misunderstanding of how lobbyists work. Yeah. And it, it paint, I, I don't, I'm, this is just a quick tangent, but yeah. I, I just, anything that paints, any political process is like simple purely good or bad yeah. or simple right is obviously just stupid like yeah lobby there are good lobbyists for sure right like Absolutely. lobbyism is like how the process works it's how like people it's how like the it, they are what they are for sure right they're Absolutely. <laughs> they're the people yeah they're representatives of like interests you know mm -hmm. there's just some that are powerful and evil but it doesn't mean like you know, when you're going to, like, drain the swamp and all the <laughs> lobbyists. Or, you know, it's just, like, it's already representing a platitudinal perspective, which is, like, unaf it's it's uh, not helpful. Exactly. And so the thing is that when um, – uh, to, to, yeah, what we were speaking on was the NRA and specifically their, the way that they've kind of influenced this uh, current situation. But the thing is, so it's not obviously platitudinal, platitudinal to kind of, like, create some conspiracy, like, bribery – 
narrative in order to explain the NRA's influence. Um, but what goes on is that, you know, they recruit, they have, they take out advertisements, they have, they, uh, invest in political action committees. Right. And all of that kind of tells this story about the second amendment having this like great history and guns in America and all of this, right. All of that construction is really recent. It really is. And the thing is that, um, that's why I'm really unconvinced. Like, even if you were convinced by the idea of tradition, right? The tradition is very different from what people tell you the tradition is, right? So the thing is, like, there isn't a tradition of being able to openly carry AR-15s in a protest (laughs) in a city center. That doesn't fucking exist, right? It just does not exist, okay? And and so the thing is that uh, I always find that really, uh, really interesting only because it's this, like, fictitious narrative that's obviously been created um, based on particular interests, right? And, you know, again, like, I'm not, again, I'm not, you know, trying to be platitudinal. But the idea, from a legal perspective, and I think that, like, um, Johnny, if you have something to say on this, I can get into this, or you can make a comment. I just thought it was pretty fascinating that you were, uh, like, there's a way in which, um, I think politics itself is usually uh, an exercise and uh, historical amnesia yeah, yeah. and revisionism. <laughs> That's a pretty funny way of saying it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, like, people consistently forget about all sorts of things yeah. and then conveniently remember things that never happened. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so it's... I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting, you know, case study to see it happening with the NRA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of... Like, um, when it comes to abortion, mm-hmm. for instance, yeah. this is something where it's like abortion was not an issue <laughs> until yeah. there were, or like, even like, uh, like, um, dominionism or like, uh, the, the Christian right. Yeah. Only f- like they, f- it was a method in which the right was like, all right, how do we engage people? Mm-hmm. What, what are issues that sound that we can make sound yeah. culturally and like, connected and i mean like i also have a whole i mean that's all a way of hiding this kind of like uh uh, far-right economic stuff like you know this is super far right like laissez-faire economic shit like all of that all of the the rights narrative construction and the way that that um they present that society you know what i mean like raised right and all of that right the uh all of that kind of social commentary is just a way of kind of under the rug hiding this highly corporatist um uh economic system and i think that that's because that's what um that's what's like most important to a lot of the uh higher ranking uh conservative movement you know what i mean and like yeah. I, I think that that's like one of the most important things to them whether they're yeah, acting in good actually, or bad faith you know who knows if they believe it or not but it's bullshit <laughs> you know what i mean i think it's yeah <laughs> it's it's bull i think um i'm not saying the left isn't culpable to this but mm-hmm. the entire idea of conservatism is that um and it's a it's a to me it's like a sound idea it's just corruptible like anything else but the way in which the things that we're talking about right now are the are characterizing the ways in which conservatism is corruptible conservatism is about being like okay look at all of history there are lessons in history and we look at institutions that are building up the the lessons of history are built into these institutions so mm-hmm. as a conservative we should be focused on the lessons that these institutions are bringing up we shouldn't be so anti-establishmentarian because we 
the establishments themselves have lessons we can learn from. And there's probably, you know, there's a way in which we can positively think about history, the way we think about science in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which is positivistic, which is, you know, um, we trial and error, we find the better solution, we're constantly working towards better solutions. Obviously, this has problems philosophically, but it's, you know, in terms when we're thinking about pragmatic politics, there is something to say about the conservative position about looking at our institutions. Well, you all, it's yeah. just that his people don't know, like when you're talking about politics, you're talking about like gathering votes and um, changing hearts and minds yeah. of people who do not have historical awareness, mm-hmm. who are not completely focused on those political histories. So it's, if you have someone who is temperamentally a conservative, but is not politically active yeah. or like activated right or, it makes it or makes, even educated it's, it's very easy, easy to, to corrupt them paint a picture cr- or like create a narrative yep. that has not even remotely like rooted in truth and i think this is a good way to seg into what we want to talk about historically with the second amendment because the second amendment in my view was about militia rights and hayes rebellion well yeah it, it wasn't I mean, even about militia rights so much as it was about militias stopping uh, uh, like revolution yes slave revolts, i mean right. just like very specifically i mean and and the thing is that yeah. like you know i'm not trying to um you know i'm not trying to like tear everything down by going oh you know pointing out the racist history but what's really funny is that it has like such a, <laughs> potent, a racist history. it has such a potent racist history it's not like <laughs> other institutions where there might be like elements of that or like a haze of racism no no, no. like this began kind of as um, a movement built around the protection of property on behalf of the white slaveholding aristocracy in the South. And they wanted to be able to uh, quash slave rebellions. There were way more slaves on plantations than there were plantation owners. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. Need, and and if, even, well, Hayes, Hayes Rebellion too was a, is, uh, if what I remember, I could be, it's been a while since I've thought about this, but it wasn't even the slaves. It was um, farmers revolting against basically their mortgages oh oh well because there's also i'm i'm thinking of another one not Hayes rebellion but yeah yeah yeah, for sure yeah so like what was you know this is one reading of the history obviously there are other ways you can read it because the constant i mean the second amendment the text itself is like so clearly about militias yeah that it's not even like um, i mean i'm gonna get it's not even about about like we'll get about that but like from what i understand from Hayes rebellion it was like basically like wealthy people were um, giving uh, loans to farmers and they weren't really like they were making no money paying them back. Mm-hmm. And so they saw this as sort of like a, like an infringement of their economic rights. Mm-hmm. And so the the it wasn't like slaves. It was just like the farm owners themselves were like revolting <laughs> and going nuts. Yeah. And um, Obviously, all like the framers of the Constitution, they weren't poor people. They may have been like wealthy plantation owners or whatever, but like they were not like siding with. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. With the, with the <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. And so, and these these uh, rebellions were scary, and so they wanted to make sure that um, militias mm-hmm. had the ability to squash these rebellions. It wasn't like about like if a foreign country came in or something. It was more like okay, well. It was militias that like were able to quell these rebellions. Well, because in the here's first the thing: place. you got you got to think about it like this. So, like one other thing to point out is that there wasn't a standing army, right? So the idea mm-hmm. was that the United and this is also why it's such a fabrication to talk about it about keeping the government in check, right? The government didn't have an army. 
the whole reason right. that it was a the whole reason the Second Amendment was there from kind of a logistical perspective, like what was it trying to protect? Not from some uh, theoretical sense, but like practically, what does it do? The idea was that it allowed for states to have militias so that states could deal with things internally that there wasn't a way of like raising a national army for. When you're being invaded, well, they didn't have a police can, force either. There wasn't police. Yeah, exactly. And there wasn't police. Yeah, th- I think that's the most important. I think that's the thing that like has become sort of perverted into the, the what what we see yeah. as the traditional conservative view is the the idea of like guns to protect yourself. This amendment was created at a time when it was actually like that was a valid argument like yeah yeah, yeah, for sure speaking speaking to a time when like there were if you're living in very remote rural areas and the reason that that like attitude is still prevalent in those areas is because it actually is kind of important to be able to protect yourself you're you're in a remote area that may not have like a police force that's capable of responding quickly Mm -hmm. like even if the likelihood of you being assaulted is very very low there's nothing that like uh the authorities would be able to do in that situation. There isn't like an authority. There isn't like an authority to do anything. But to be, you know, imagine if you're like people in rural contexts or like in rural places, the police won't even respond for 30 minutes. And so that's a way in which they could be like, Hey, well, this is about me. Like the fact that there wasn't, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly. There wasn't a police for it. It does make right. I would, um, say to that, that, um, the second amendment isn't your, calling card then because there's problems when this is i guess what i really want to talk about <laughs> is the how stupid originalism is oh my god John, <laughs> like think like Ooh, yeah <laughs> right. like, this yeah. is just me basically funneling to mark having a whole spiel but like when you know like um just from a a, a, a literary reading right like uh, an originalist says you need to read the amendment as like it's as if you were in the time that it was written yeah. right but the problem is is that like one that doesn't like uh gel with the idea of the constitution as a living document which i guess well, is i mean but that's also but that's like a, that's a rejection of that particular that's, that's a reject right yeah. i get which it just seems but that seems stu- like it, <laughs> originalism has well to it be doesn't the, just no, seem stupid also, yeah it, it <laughs> is stupid. yeah no, no no i mean it's really but absurd. i guess i just want to say from like because i know i i'm sure when you start thinking about it legally it blows up because we've me and mark have talked about like scalia's like interpretations oh of the second amendment which yeah. i want him to recite yeah because it's hilarious yeah, it but really just is. like on a literary reading there's something that i want to say which is like um like if i'm reading a you know let's say i'm reading hobbes mm-hmm. right uh i'm just i looked at a book that i have in my bookshelf like i'm reading the leviathan right and i'm like trying to understand what he's saying about social contracts yeah um i have to judge his work obviously i'm trying to think about what he's writing to it's important to like take in political social context the context of the time but his work only stands up in a way if i can make sense of it right now for sure right right like it has to respond to my own interpretations otherwise it's just a historical document when we know about the constitution it cannot be a historical document because it it has to be timeless it has has to be be, yeah yeah, it has to be i mean (laughs) not necessarily like timeless because, like, maybe America doesn't exist, in which case it doesn't have to be timeless. Like, yeah. if America Whoa. blows up. But because it's a set of laws, it has to 
it has to um, be commensurable with a contemporary perspective. For sure. Or way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And originalism just wants to like, no, 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 I don't want to hear. Like, yeah. you know, they just want to like, you know, put their hands over their ears about like the fact that like it ha- it cannot be – like the authors aren't – like the authors may be dead, but like you have to – treat it as if the authors are living yeah because like you have to constantly be evaluating it in time because it's a spe- it's not a it's not just like a, a piece of history it's you know yeah, i yeah, cannot no, I even understand how, how it's yeah not what a uh, where, where do we see yeah. like um it, as far as like originalism actually being a perspective that we have to care about where do we see that because okay. i i don't yeah. mark, mark i don't know any originalists yeah. so okay well so. they're in the they're in the supreme court yeah i mean i mean like well what they call oh well so like you know well scalia was uh famously and then um i mean gorsuch garland would say, is, yeah, or, you know or not garland sorry. uh yeah gorsuch would say so gorsuch. alito uh clarence thomas right Kennedy wouldn't because Love Kennedy Clarence is like more. Clarence Thomas is really. Whew, he's not. He's not a very good judge. But so he sucks. Yeah, he really. Sucks. <laughs> he's the worst. Um, I don't know, he's, <laughs> done, he's done me a few favors, but continue. <laughs> but so okay. Um, now I kind of like need to get my bearings because this is a really big topic from uh, from a legal analysis standpoint. But to kind of begin with originalism. Right, I think that's a good way of setting the stage for talking about the Second Amendment. I think we need to talk about originalism to just tie it all together because, yeah. um, the, like, the entire conservative position on mm-hmm. gun control doesn't make sense unless originalism is activated. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's just nothing. Exactly. Otherwise, and yeah. and so the, the thing the, is that one place that I can start is that. When we talk about originalism, we're talking about that as being kind of in tandem with textualism, right? Which are uh, kind of symbiotic concepts, right? So the idea is that originalism would say that we need to find the original meaning of the document and try and put the context of that thought um, onto the facts at hand, right? But a textualist would say that, oh, well, all of the answers lie directly in the text. There's nothing outside of the text, right? So those two ideas kind of sit symbiotic. The idea is that you try and interpret only from the text what the original (laughs) meaning was, which is the most bizarre idea I've ever heard in my life. It's so ridiculous. No, no, no. In in combination with textualism, it's like, I can't even... No, 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 but it's also also incredibly bizarre from... um, from like a scholastic standpoint, right? Because the idea is that the way we read, I mean, very simply, the way that we read now is very different from the way that people read in 1775, right? When I say we read differently, I mean that our... um, our gram- it's not even we spoke differently. No, it, well, it's like, yeah, we, we, it's not just that we spoke differently. There's this whole history of literary criticism and legal criticism that, like, the lessons are, like, dropped on even, like, the most, like, basic of reader. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I mean, because I mean? here's the other thing is that um, when, like, the even the way we construct grammar and the way that we have kind of, uh, like, our ontology of grammar is very different than their ontology of grammar back then, right? Mm, so the thing sure. is that, when you try and talk about originalism, you try and talk about textualism, what you start getting into are these concepts about how you read, how you actually construct the meaning of, of the document that you're, that you're studying. Yeah. And the thing is that, I mean, I'll, I'll get to, um, 
I'll get to the specifics of the um, of the Second Amendment case that I really that's really important for this discussion in a moment. But when what often happens with originalist and textualist arguments is that you notice what they do is that they are applying a very modern construction of grammar, right? So when uh, they go and they read these documents or they read uh, uh, something like the Second Amendment, which is fantastic. I mean, the Second Amendment is a great example of something. Uh, of the like Second Amendment the itself min- is the worst written thing I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, wait. I, I need to find the text. I don't have it committed to. I don't have it committed to memory. But it's just like, um, where is it? It's it's just worth it. But um, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, right? And yeah, think about it; it's like a well-regulated militia, comma. and then there's like then there's a like a, a relative clause, yep. and then another sentence starts, but yeah. there's a comma there. Yeah, exactly. It's like a well-regulated. It's like okay, like if I were to like, it's like poetry in a way. It's like a well-regulated militia, relative clause, and then that's just. Just think about that. That's my favorite coming. And then here's a sentence. Yeah. (laughs) Just think about a well-regulated militia. While you read the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. And here's another here's another statement. Here's another sentence. It's just like someone just like super drunk. It's like a well-regulated militia. Shall I compare thee to a well-regulated militia? The general vibe, you know, you know what I'm getting at. I'm just trying to give you a feeling about it. You guys get it. Right? But so the idea is that when you read that. What's really incredible about it is that the the structure of that sentence doesn't look like the way any of us would write a sentence nowadays, right? And what's incredible is that even when you went and you just started to analyze the construction of that sentence, you were absolutely absolutely using a grammatical ontology that's modern, right? Yeah. And so the thing is that reading that specific sentence from the kind of uh, uh, you know construct of modern grammar understanding, right? Doesn't actually convey some original idea about the sentence, right? Because the original idea of the sentence is kind of hidden in whatever these grammatical concepts were at the time. Do you know what I mean? So we can bring this back around because I want to talk about- I just, I have an idea. Yeah. Or I have something I want to like- This one? Like mull over. Um, So imagine if people, like of the people- Mm -hmm was eliminated from the second amendment so like a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed does the is of the people like um is it what's the word when it is it is it like unnecessary to say of the people there, like our rights. So I can, I can actually, this is actually, in I, the con- you're actually get, you're actually onto something that's really important. Um, because the way that the second amendment was read for a really long time was that it's, it was what you call a collective right rather than an individual right. Meaning that you yourself did not have a right to keep and bear arms, but the state had a right to grant people the right to keep and bear arms right <laughs> that was the original way that this was constructed okay right. for, I, when i when i say the that's original really way i mean the way for a century right? yeah yeah because for example there is a um there was a very important case that I, I wish i had the name of it on me right now it's important in um the most recent uh one of the most recent second amendment decisions that um that we'll get to in a second but in the 1930s a couple of guys 
were uh, pulled over on their way crossing into India, like crossing into Illinois from Indiana or something like that. And they had sawed off shotguns and Tommy guns, right? And they were going to Chicago to like bring guns to these people, okay? And uh, they challenged the Illinois law that was outlawing um, sawed off shotguns and Tommy guns, okay? They challenged it on the Second Amendment, okay? This is back in the 30s, right? Huh. And the so Supreme this would have been the equivalent of like an AK then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what it was, right? It was, you know, early machine guns and shit, and it was outlawed in Illinois. Now, the thing is that the Supreme Court specifically said that the right to keep and bear arms is specifically tied to participation and enlistment in the militia. Okay? Explicitly. Uh, Explicitly, yeah. the case says this. Okay? And this is in the 30s. Now... What we think of as the current understanding of the Second Amendment, that you and I each have the right to, like, have a gun in our house or have as many guns as we want, <laughs> right? This is, which is, is so bizarre. It's absolutely shocking. Because the, the case that really establishes that, right, the case that establishes an individual constitutionally protected right under the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment, the, what establishes that happened in 2008, okay? That entire concept of you have the right to a gun is that modern it happened nine years ago it hasn't even been a decade <laughs> right jesus yeah this is real i'm not i'm not i'm not bullshitting you at all <laughs> this is this real. Is, i know this is i, I just this is feel not like, a meme i feel like i feel like this people don't believe me sometimes when i tell them this right but this is the truth i'm not like this is what you learn in constitutional law right but so what's shocking and to, you know why people don't believe it is because obviously the 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 calling of the second amendment being the right to own a gun in your house yeah. like mattered earlier than the le- like than the the ruling yeah like, exactly like, obviously that was like something that like gore and bush debated yeah for sure and the thing is that there's now what's the real um like okay where where should i begin because i really do want to say something about originalism here because what's so inc- about what originalism, originalism i have under a, this under i this have guise. a i have an idea you can tell me if this won't work mm-hmm. um this is such a weirdly worded amendment i was just thinking about like asking questions about the words themselves like going through it and you can tell me like what that might mean for sure well what I, what I wanted to point out was one really crazy eccentricity about this particular case where all of this gets established in 2008 so the decision is d yeah, is yeah. uh dc v heller okay and specifically washington dc had a law that regulated the licensures for owning a private handgun okay now um there was a whole system by which you applied and then it was approved based on some criteria but then unnamed criteria these kinds of things right very simple but the effect of it was really to massively limit uh the private ownership of handguns basically they it it, is, it had the effect of um like only allowing you know security guards who've gone through a licensure process and training to own a private handgun because in many instances right. you own your own handgun if you're a police officer a lot of police officers and federal agents own their own handguns right and so the mm-hmm. thing is that that's how a lot of that operates so that's how the licensure process worked often often they would reject applications by regular people and somebody sued saying that that uh 
you know, violated their Second Amendment rights. Now, in the actual decision, remember I told you that, like, in the 30s, there was this case where they said, oh, yeah, your right to With have... the gangsters, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The right to have guns is totally, like, connected to enlistment in the militia. It says that explicitly, okay? Then Scalia, Scalia, the originalist, right? And the textualist. I mean, the only way to put this is that he's just making shit up. I don't know how, I don't know how else to say it. This is not what the case says right. explicitly. Yeah. He's just making it up. He literally says that the point of that case was that those guns were not fit for the use in the militia. It was about what? the kind of weapon. But they're literally designed what the fuck does that to even kill mean? people. What the fuck does that even mean, right? And then I'll I guess because those weapons weren't made in the time that the Second Amendment was written. No, no, no but that's not, not actually of, related because even... at this point, you're allowed to have a semi-automatic handgun. There wasn't a semi-automatic handgun. No, no, I'm just saying like what, like that's his argument. That's his argument that that's what it says. Yeah. And then he invents this yeah. other one where then he says, <laughs> okay, it's about the type of gun. And then he says that, oh, the gun of choice in the United States historically has been the handgun. Right? And he what? makes this, oh, dude, I'm telling you, this. none of this makes this any sense. This is like an anti-textual. So that's what I'm saying. Though, right? I mean, it's absolutely yeah. bizarre. And, and the thing is, I find it not... It's so wholly unconvincing that I find it highly it's suspect. So unconvincing. I find it suspect because it's just like it, it, I don't know if that's written in good faith because I find it so bizarre. It can't be. It can't be. It's man. suspicious. It's really it suspicious, be. and it really frustrates me to read because I mean, when you go and you read the um, the dissents, I mean, one of the great ones. I mean, the great point to point out is that states at the time of the Second Amendment's drafting had arms rights protected by their state constitutions and some of them actually said you can specifically have guns for self-protection and for hunting okay and for enlistment in the in the militia okay so i think that like massachusetts and pennsylvania had uh had gun rights in their state constitutions and it specifically protected your right to own one in the home to protect yourself okay if they knew about that if that was around right why doesn't it say that in there Right? You can't read that in. It, they, they knew about it. It's omitted. Right? Yeah. And so the thing is that there's, there's I mean, uh, the kind of originalism and textualist argument really falls apart when you read something like this. Because it's just, I mean, it's completely inconsistent. There's no consistent way of constructing that ideology. Right? And for and yeah. to kind of like hide behind the guise of again that's it's like you know that cliche like he's you know the biggest common sense justice ever right it's like oh it just makes yeah, the fucking right. sense to do this right it's, yeah. no, I have no idea <laughs> that was a great Scalia impression <laughs> but uh, but the thing, <coughs> but the thing is that our understanding of the First Amendment is so recent and this whole case that I've been talking about was uh, backed by the NRA. So, I mean, like, that's kind of a way to bring it back to that question about the NRA. But, um, right. So, the thing is, like, I, yeah, I have that's this, my like, point about it really in many I think respects. I, when I'm re I'm just been like trying to understand, like, the grammar of the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. If this is how, like, I would rewrite it in a way that I'm trying to be as faithful as I think with the grammar there, I would change, I would switch two clauses and add a prepositional, um, I would add a preposition. Mm -hmm. It would read like this. A well-regulated militia with the right of the people to keep and bear arms being necessary to the security of a free state shall not be infringed. Which if you take the clauses out, it just means a well-regulated militia shall not be infringed. Yeah. That's respecting the comma usage, which 
to me is like already opens up a can of worms like what does well regulated mean yeah what is a militia that was like that's the i think that's probably one of the bigger issues like yeah what is a militia do in we the context? even have is, is militias a, anymore um like really no not really we do i mean but there are we do they're, but, they're, but they're like they're not exactly yeah, like but, sanctioned they're like clubs right right and it seems it, to me like if one you of the didn't have a police force a militia like i guess what you have to imagine is like what is a militia when you don't have a police force like it, like a police force in a sense can be understood as just a government sanctioned militia the only practical right? thing that i can think of in like the context of modernity would be like a uh what am i th- like a neighborhood watch with guns basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah exactly. no but that's but the thing about that, what is a police what is police except for neighborhood watch that's just being socialized yeah i mean i, I don't disagree right? so that's what a militia I mean, and the militia is like the minutemen blah, blah blah that was basically what they were especially because in the context of this being it's about states yeah it's about a free state and exactly. the security of a free state a militia free state what you're looking at is basically an amendment that's saying just on a textual reading yeah i think a charitable so textual I, reading I, wait, uh, it's yeah. about that police should be able to carry guns <laughs> yeah it, and that's Johnny, that's actually a really great way of constructing the the, the reading. I think that that's a really yeah. faithful reading of that sentence, right? I, I have to say that's like if it's well regulated. Yeah. A well imagine if it says police instead of militia, a well regulated police force yeah, exactly. being necessary to the uh-huh. security of a free state, which means that a you know obviously this was written. We we already talked about Hayes Rebellion, but it also be written in. It can be understood in the context of like we just won a war against what we saw as like an imposing foreign force, yeah. the yeah. British. So like I think you know a lot of people want to also read this as like a militia because like the you know like Minutemen mm-hmm. they were used against the British, yeah. right? It was like militia against. So it's like okay, like a free state. There's one way in which you always have to think about people that are trying to do you harm. Yeah, the militia was the good force against people trying to do you harm. It could be a foreign state, but it also could be people that are anarchists mm-hmm. or criminals. Those are outlaws. Yeah. The, the way a foreign force is an outlaw in that they live outside of your laws, mm-hmm. so does a criminal. For sure. So a militia was basically the force used against outlaws. And what is that today? The pol- It's not the army. The army is mm-hmm. doing like foreign policy adventurism or something. Like the police is basically – the people who are like the FBI stops yeah. terrorist attacks. And, and, yeah. Yeah, the FBI totally. also stops like, cr- like, you know, they're also the people who like, uh, like, you know, do Rico cases and mm-hmm. shit. So in this, I think the best reading is basically a good police force being necessary to the security of a free state, which means that this, the people that are subscribing to the state get to be free. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. which means basically, like when uh, criminals are suppressed, we can act in a way which our freedom is exercised. Mm-hmm. The right of the people, which the militia were the people, yeah. right? But like the pol- like There's police also today, way, modern I, police is socialized I just wanna, I just militia, point something out. right? So the way that the term so, "the people" is used in the actual constitutional document changes. There's collective usages of the people where it's referring to the federal government. Saying the people. And then there's right? times where it's just about, like, a person's... And it's also about the way that you, like, read that sentence, right? And so, like, yeah. one thing that I, like, um, you're getting at something that's, like, really important. Because the idea is that um, if, for example, 
this is supposed to be some statement about like state security for like security for the states. Okay. One way to yeah. think about this is that when the document was written, it only applied to the federal government. Okay. The constitution did not apply to the states until the 14th amendment was passed after the civil war. Okay. So right. the way that the 14th amendment is read in modern times, where it says that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of the law, right? And equal protection in there. It says, you know, each person is entitled to equal protection under the law. All of that, nothing in that, nothing in the 14th Amendment says anything about what liberties are protected, right? So what we've done okay. is that we've gone and we've looked back at the Bill of Rights and we've tried to determine, we, we do what's what we call read-in rights into the 14th Amendment, right? The 14th Amendment protects yeah. liberty, Okay, what the fuck is liberty? It's written like that on purpose. Okay, but the, which yeah. is also why originalism and textualism makes no fucking sense because that's like, why would you be that vague? You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's already ambiguity. It's like there's purpose. like purposeful, yeah. built in purposeful ambiguity, ambiguity yeah. means that it need like the terms can change to the time. Exactly, exactly. But so the thing is that um, when we talk about. Uh, you know, particularly modern gun legislation, right? When we talk about, oh, we want to pass a gun law, we want to pass a gun law. Okay. It's not just that it's hard to convince people that that's a good idea. There are certain things that we all agree on, right? At the same time, at the same time, it's almost impossible to pass a gun law recently because of this decision, okay? Because the idea is that what happens in the most recent iteration of Second Amendment ideology, I guess, is that it reads the right to keep and bear arms into the 14th Amendment. Meaning that if you reread it, like Johnny said, that the police force being necessary to the security of any given state, right? Any state in the union, okay? That means that the state would probably have, you know, they have the right to regulate, oh, well-regulated, right? They have the right to yeah. regulate their the guns <laughs> in the state, right? The, right? I mean, it's so dumb. But so the idea, oh my God. yeah. And so the thing is, that when you actually um, when you actually try and uh, think about what that like how this applies to our modern context and what happens in uh, uh, in this case Heller that kind of establishes this modern uh, trend, what's going on is that it's saying that the states who are the people who are supposed to be protected by this amendment can't regulate the thing that they say they have the right to regulate in there because it's specifically about the person, not about the state itself, okay? Meaning that California can't pass a thing saying, oh, no, no handguns in California, even though Texas can have as many guns as they want in Texas, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the actual implication of it because originally the idea was that the federal government could not massively limit gun, or, gun ownership without amending the Constitution, Right. But now by reading this into the 14th Amendment, it's limiting the way that municipalities can, right? So like even a city can't, you know, ban handguns. You know what? It's, it's just not, it's unconstitutional for a city. To what ban about it. Chicago? But they, How does Chicago's? Uh, I mean, well, Chicago's laws, I think are, um, how about this? I actually don't know how Chicago's laws uh, work. Everybody likes to say that they have like the strictest gun laws in the country or something like that. I don't know exactly what that means because I think you can still legally own a handgun in Chicago. It would be illegal for them to not. Like it would be unconstitutional. We'll, fi we'll find something and put it in the show notes. I feel like there's yeah, gotta yeah, be something. Yeah, I'll find I'll find a better answer like to that. But I mean, the, yeah. you know, uh, what I kind of wanted Google, to get to you specifically there. Typing. And you know, to kind of wrap up my point, the last thing I wanted to say was that. 
it's not just about kind of the cultural uh, roadblocks to passing gun legislation. It's actually that the whole way we've constructed our legal system now in, you know, within the last decade, right? The whole way that our constitutional understanding has been warped. It's actually very difficult to pass even gun regulations that we might all agree with, right? Because they might not stand up to muster of, you know, the 2% of people that own so many of the guns in the United States or whatever that statistic is, right? Um, Mm -hmm. To their challenges, their constitutional challenges. So that's, I mean, it's actually a really um, shitty situation that we're in right now because we haven't yet navigated what that decision means. And that's why you see a whole lot of, um, I think that's why you see a whole lot of debate regarding it right now because it specifically is saying that states can't limit it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just what a complicated issue. Yeah. For something that's so like unimportant in like the grand scheme of things. For sure. I mean, it's important, but it's like oh god, it's like it, it I it's almost like because it's n- like not heart disease. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like we we want to fight over something that's not like where our focus should be. Yeah. It's almost as representative of like our problem in American politics, or just politics, like in the West. Well, it seems maybe. to me like the the biggest causes of death are stuff that the, they're all things that are like pretty. I mean, aside from automobile accidents, it's all stuff that's basically impossible to regulate without infringing on like. You basically have to suppose that people don't have an incontestable right to their body to prevent heart disease or obesity. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Which if is, you want to, you know, regulate we could that. have that. We could have that discussion. Like, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> Johnny hates. I have things baddies. to say about obesity, but that's another. Yeah. That's another amendment. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, they had to, anyway. there we go. I guess that's there we I go. Guess that's I guns. That yeah, yeah. I think that's guns, man. Well, that's what we have to say. Thank gun. We're done with that. Um, <laughs> oh my god. So that's gonna. Do you guys have anything else to say? Or? No, that's it. No, no I think that's, that's good. <laughs> okay, cool. So we're gonna put a knot in this. Um, we're gonna come back on Friday with our next discussion topic, which is going to be a state of emergency. But uh, this is gonna be it for now. Thank you for listening. Um, I am Jacob, and again, this is uh, my co-host Mark and Johnny. Thanks, guys. I'm John. I'm John. <laughs> I'm John. <laughs> I'm the other guy. <laughs> and we are leaving now. Goodbye. <laughs> bye bye.